It's episode three of the Sick Esports Podcast, a weekly podcast about the business of esports and the esports business. This week on February 10th, we talk about the COD League major that happened in Boston and how they netted their best viewership in three years. We've also got the numbers in from esports charts for the month of January. I'm going to make Matthew guess who came out on top. TSM won the latest Apex Legends tournament and are also withdrawing from Siege and re-entering CSGO again. I'm Thomas TJ James, joined by Matthew Cubby Samuelson, and all of that is after this. Is 150k good? Yeah, I think so. But, like, in context, right? Yeah. Um, We're stuck with that. We're podcasting. All right. Well, uh, TJ, I think it's time to start with the 150K in question, which is the CDL. Second major becomes the most popular tournament within the genre in the past three years. Uh, Viewership was solid. Who would have possibly thought that an exclusivity deal ending could lead to more viewership, TJ? Yeah, this was the Boston major in Call of Duty, which, as you said, became their most popular Call of Duty tournament in three years. And also, this will be a wild fact for you, the first tournament on Twitch in three years. No way. Uh, it was very good. I, he was drinking coffee, and he put down the coffee cup and then delivered the line read. It was great. Um, some kind of fun details here that we can unpack. Um... Firstly, I watched a little bit of the stream. I watched because we had the whole conversation. We very much set up on last week's episode. Is Call of Duty going to be able to pull it out? Um, I don't know if they did, but we can talk about that. But they did have a really good broadcast. And it was really fun to me um, because it was very much operating in the MLG TV vein. It, I mean, it's the same studio that's been broadcasting Call of Duty since it was MLG TV game battles and the kind of dawn of esports in North America. Um, And they did a really good job of producing a kind of sports-adjacent product. Um, And they've done some really good tweaking to the way Call of Duty looks to make it very easy to tell who's on what team. Um, They do some very similar things to Overwatch League Spectator System, but I think it works out better because Call of Duty is a easier game Mm -hmm. to watch than Overwatch. Um, so just re- it was very sports adjacent. It was a very clean uh, and effective broadcast product. I think the thing... Hmm, TJ, did you know that Twitch... English language broadcast on Twitch accounted for more than 97% of the total hours watched for the CDL major? Wow. And I was, hmm. was going to try and unpack that with you. So... Kind of two interesting things about the viewership. Um, around 150k average concurrent viewers, which is not bad, but also definitely in the middle of the esports charts. That's pretty good. I, I honestly, I, there's no shame in that, right? Um, 
Yeah, I don't know if that pays for the scale of tournament they're operating. I think they want to be hitting more like 300k, probably 200, 300 with the scale of the tournament they're operating. Mm -hmm. But it's in the ballpark. It's like we're making money numbers as opposed to having 5,000 viewers, which is, to be clear, not making yeah. money numbers. That's, we, what, that's what they're comparing against. It's not in the realm of we got paid 500 million from YouTube just to have our game die on that channel. It's not in that yeah. realm. Yeah. Which is where they were at. Um, yeah. But that but that viewership, like you said, some interesting numbers. This is from ES, ES charts, esports charts. Um, first of all, can you can you check the number of those viewers who were watching on Scump, the former Optic players' co-stream? Yeah, so that was another curious stat. Is that forty eight percent of the total hours watched were from what they call community casters, uh, more known as co-streamers, I'd say. Yeah, uh, so they're, they're personalities who are yeah. watching the live stream of the tournament, and they have permission from Call of Duty to basically rebroadcast with their own perspective. The NFL's actually doing this. This was yeah. League of Legends kind of innovated this, Riot Games yeah. kind of innovated this, brought this to the mainstream, and now the NFL does it with Tom Brady? No, uh, that's actually an entirely different conversation, and one oh. I was going to actually kind of hit on is the fact that co-streaming was actually innovated by esports, and it is huge now. Uh, in the sense that it, it's not Tom Brady, it's the Manning cast. Uh, so see, I don't know yeah. anything about football. The so like cast. Monday Night Football on ESPN, they run their traditional broadcast, but on ESPN two, they run the Manning cast, where it's EY and Peyton Manning, who are both Super Bowl winning QBs, and Peyton's one of the better QBs of all time. Uh, and they have guests on, and they talk about the game in whatever way they want to, in a studio setup. But it's pretty cool. Like, I mean, Peyton can like draw plays. He can do like a bunch of like he's got like a football helmet. He's got a bunch of stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 pretty fun. Uh, so Scump, he peaked at uh, looks like one point. Uh, uh, let me just give some context for the viewers at home, uh, Matthew. Scump, in many ways, the Peyton Manning of Call of Duty. Yeah, no, he's he's like the best to do it. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, so Scump. 1.75 million it looks like unique view, unique viewers um and yeah i mean he just retired right so i'm not surprised yeah. that it was it was um, kind of a shock retirement with about a month two months ago yeah i think he said it was going to be his last year and then he just was done early yeah uh but yeah he pulled in 38 percent of all viewers to his channel that's a lot that is a big percent for an individual. Yeah. And I think it really... There were moments, especially when Optic, his former team, were playing, where the Scump broadcast had more viewers than the mainstream. Um, and that's kind of interesting. I, I, There's definitely something... You see this with League of Legends and Valorant, um, where League of Legends and Valorant will occasionally be outperformed by... Uh, they're co-streamers, and normally when I see that ratio as a broadcaster, we both come from the broadcast product side of things, my thought is the main product clearly isn't serving the needs of the audience. Um, do you think that's the case here, or do you think it's maybe more to do with just the drama around Scump and the fact that he's so fresh out of the competitive scene? I don't know. I, I, I do think it's a little bit of both, right? Uh, so... I mean, for example, like when this got big in league, like personally, I think the way that traditional sports broadcasts, you know, work is like, let's say our desk, like we're going to have X, you know, champions, X 
uh, whether you, that is a player, a coach, or a GM, right? And it, I mean, like the iconic example that everyone likes to use in reference is the halftime show or the desk on TNT, where it's Shaq, Charles Barkley, yeah. uh, like Kenny Smith. These guys have all won championships, except for Chuck, uh, who is still considered one of the most dominant players of all time and was a part of the dream team. Uh, so he's accomplished a lot. Um, I think that in league, they, at the time, like when coast streaming got popular, I think that a lot of the, the people in the faces that did retire and people wanted to see on the broadcast, they just didn't bring in. Uh, and I think part of it is because they were legitimately making more money from streaming and they wanted to branch out. So by co-streaming league, they could do that and then stream another game and grow their stream overall. Uh, so it was like a win-win. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that, I mean, if you're tuning into a different broadcast, not the main broadcast, then yeah, it's really easy to argue like, hey, uh, these needs are not being served, right? Um, that, that That's not an outlandish argument by any means. Uh, now, I think that it's also like very unique for Scump, given like this guy is one of, if not the best to do it uh, throughout his career. So like, if I'm going to listen to that broadcast, am I going to get the professionalism of a main broadcast? But no. I'm going to get the insight that I may not get anywhere else. And maybe I get better at the game. Maybe I have a better understanding of what's going on. Maybe I'm just curious about what he thinks about the team that he just retired from, given the drama. Uh, so I, I could see a lot of reasons to you know, tune into that stream, uh, as with all co-streams uh, throughout. And I, I think co-streaming is something that's just going to be a thing in esports no matter what. Because uh, it is really easy for game developers to go reach out to big streamers and be like, I'm going to pay you to co-stream my game uh, to get this off the ground. Or if it gets big enough, then people just want to do it and get permission because they can make money off of it. And it's a co-promotion, you know? Yeah, and it's a it's a way of capturing people who wouldn't watch your product anyway. Yeah, is yeah, their yeah. Thought, right. Like you, you have a certain amount of your audience that's not going to watch a sports product but they are emotionally attached to an influencer or a, or something like that. And so they're going to watch the influencer's broadcast of your sports products that they wouldn't. Otherwise, uh, you capture some percentage of the ad dollars, uh, which is, you know, better than zero. Um, but I would say, and maybe this is the, like, broadcaster ego coming out. Um, I think quite frequently the way it's done doesn't make as much sense to me because like here's my question when someone like scump or in league of legends when they started doing it in north america they were doing it with a whole bunch of recently retired north american league of legends players um those people are famous because of your broadcast product and they're famous because of the way that you built them on your broadcast product so there are two things that are going to happen one the people that are in their audience are people who are choosing between watching the main broadcast product, which they watched, which is why they originally know of them, and the co-stream. So you're actually, it's a zero-sum game. You're not adding new viewers to the pool necessarily. And I'm sure that some percentage of people are new viewers being added to the pool, but the percentage of new viewers is much lower. Someone like Scump with someone like Doublelift, who's a famous League of Legends player who's now playing professionally again, but was briefly co-streaming the games. Um, and two... How do you create the next generation of double lift of Scump if yeah. they're not watching your main broadcast? Because Scump isn't going to be focused on talking about 
which player has an exciting life story and building up personalities. Because that's not his job. Scump's there to get Scump paid, which... Yeah. Good for him. Um, and there's a lot of functions that a fully tooled up broadcast serves for a healthy ecosystem that a co-stream does not. And so I think it is... It is uh, it is it is going into debt almost, right? It's a short-term injection of cash. You're going to get a ton more viewers mm -hmm. for a bit, but those aren't really viewers that are associating with your product. Those aren't really viewers that are tied into your product. They're paying attention to the things you want viewers to know about your tournaments. That That's interesting. I mean, I, I think that the dichotomy... Ugh, the dichotomy? The dichotomy. Yeah, uh, we got there, you know. Uh... I think that, you know, getting people that are interested that wouldn't usually tune in is great. Uh, I, I think that, I mean, yeah. I find co-streams fun. But yeah, like, you know, if you're going to run a segment about this new player that Skump may not know about, um, maybe you're lucky Skump listens to it. Like, oh, let's see like what they have. And that's cool. Or maybe, you know, he takes that time to mute the stream and go over donations and give his thoughts, you know? Uh, like, Or worse, as I've seen happen... Maybe you start running a segment about this up-and-coming rookie who you're trying to build up as the future of the league, and he goes, why are they talking about this guy? He sucks. Yeah. And you're uh, done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, th these are, again, you don't have control. Like, you don't have full control. Uh, which is which is why the I think the Manning cast um, is actually a better implementation of the same theory. It is. It's really fun. Because that's just another sports broadcast. Like, that broadcast is doing all the same things for the NFL that the main broadcast is doing, but it's coming at it with a different target yeah. market, with a more dialed-in perspective. It is, but it isn't, right? Like, it. some of the guests they get on are just, like, really fun, right? Like, you might have a, a night where they get, like, uh, you know, they have Tom Brady on, and then they're going to bring on, like, Trevor Noah, and then they'll bring right. on, like... Uh, like, I don't know, Jeff Saturday, like, like before he started, you know, coaching again midseason. Uh, you get like these crazy guest lists that make for a really fun night. But you can see that they're approaching it from the perspective of how do we get the maximum number of people engaged with our product, right? It is, yeah. and, and we saw this as well, the NFL has this Nickelodeon Kids product. Oh my God, it's where, like, so SpongeBob great. SpongeBob and Patrick are commentating the games, um, and the commentators that are there are explaining the game to children. And yeah, so they great. have all those different, like, it's very clear that they have this demographic mentality of, okay, we want young kids to have an interest in the NFL. How do we do that? We put SpongeBob and Patrick on the screen. Okay, we want adults who are watching it with their friends to have an interest in the NFL. That's what the main broadcast is for. Put that mm -hmm. on the living room TV, sit around, watch the game. But maybe we have people who are sitting at home and want a more kind of late night parties here vibe from their broadcast. And we have a product for them as well, and that's the Manning cast. And the, the like, those are three different products all working towards the same end. And my question whenever I see big co-streaming numbers is, are these co-streams working towards the same end, or are they just benefiting from having something on screen so that the streamer has something to talk about? And you're benefiting because your number yeah. looks bigger, but is that really that good? No, that's that's a great point, and I think the Nick broadcast for kids is just genius. Also, one of my favorite clips this year from the NFL is they had the voice actor that does Patrick like actually announce Russell Wilson throwing an interception, and Russell Wilson like 
Denver has traded like five first round picks to get their QB and head coach now. And their head coach is like for the next year, but Russell's for this year. And he just played terribly. And he was kind of the laughing stock of the uh, NFL. So the fact that he threw a pick and then Patrick Starr to announce it was honestly one of the funniest <laughs> clips of the year. It was so good. If you if you can find the link after this, I'll, I'll plug it in here. I Oh, I can find it in a heartbeat. Okay. Second in line, and, and the Broncos, and those are the big horsey uh, players, they have the ball. And they're going to see if they can find a way to move it. Oh, this nice. entire screen so is just so real. Oh, there's Russ Wilson. Oh, no! Oh, no! Oh, no! Oh, no! Oh, no! That's not what he wanted to cook. No, I think he hurt whatever he was cooking. <laughs> With the oh the my god um, and just to describe what's on screen there's like a it's like it's vtuber technology it is it is it is there's there's a like cg 3d model of patrick in the bottom corner that the voice actor is is animating with his motion capture performance yeah they, they showed a behind the scenes of him doing it too and the fact that he says that's not what he wanted to cook the phrase was always that russ cook because like he just got, gotta let him do his things in seattle he was really good and the fact that he went, that's not what he wanted to cook, is just the best line. He's an absolute savage for that. Ah, uh, wonderful. It, so it anyway, really was a great clip. you want to get Optic the big viewership numbers, get Patrick Starr in yes, there, get Nickelodeon please. TV in there. Um, summing up, esports or not esports, is 150,000 viewers good in this context? Yes. You think so? Do you, they, think, it, do you think it justifies the continued existence of the league? Yes. How would you feel about our next news item? CDL in talks to return to YouTube exclusivity for three years via Jacob Hale at Dixtero. Dude, sometimes you just got to go back to the X, you know? It's, uh, <laughs> you don't know why, but sometimes Come on, that's Call just... Come Duty League, you're better than him. Yeah. You, yeah, don't, you don't need YouTube. They need a friend to be like, you don't need this, man. Uh, well, here's the thing. I think YouTube has a lot of cash. They do. And if Call of Duty League is happy in the relationship, th then who am I to, to not condone it, you know? But here, here's the real question. So let's call it a $300 million deal. Just because I believe the first one was 250 for all... Uh, I, I, let's just give it a number. 300 mil, right? You think That's they're worth more than they were? Three years ago um inflation be crazy you know uh so i don't know uh but let's just give the number to make it interesting 300 mil is like kind of close to what where it was at right sure what's the number where this is worth it because like it no matter what uh, we've seen enough leagues go to exclusivity where you know that that league is going there to die if you're not on twitch you're a league that's getting paid to die I think especially if you're not on Twitch in North America. Yes. Because right? the, the other details that we meant to talk about, didn't really talk about, almost 100% of the viewership for Call of Duty is American. Yeah. And, you know, they're not doing alternate language broadcasts. Maybe if they had, you know, a Mexican broadcast or whatever um, that was targeted at, because I know it is very popular in Mexico and Latin America, so if, it was, if mm -hmm. they were targeting broadcasts in Spanish at a Mexican audience at... Uh, uh, Latin American audience, I think Brazil especially, maybe they could build something there, but they don't have that infrastructure. 
So 100% of their viewership is in America, where the most prominent uh, streaming service, especially for older gamers, which I will say is the Call of Duty audience, is Twitch. Yeah, I so, I mean, again, with this, I, I just, I look at the COD League and... Like what? What's the number where it's worth it? Like if they're gonna get five hundred mil to be on YouTube, I mean, can can you say no to that? Uh, again, is it, though, is it enough to run the league? Because yeah. there's no way they're making money as a broadcast product. Yeah. And if the difference is, you don't need to worry about money because we've got this YouTube check. Then, yeah. yes, it's worth it. And, and look, like here's the thing this time too. I feel like enough people like in esports or in the space actually understand that this is how it works now. Like, if you are not on Twitch, you're getting paid to die. And it has to be enough where you get paid enough to die. Well, let's talk about that because in yeah. this Dextero article, Dextero.com, written by Jacob Hale, uh, link will be in the show notes. They quote two people on the Optic podcast, the aforementioned Scump and the former, I don't know if he's the current general manager of Optic, Hex. Um, and he says, quote, if that is not the league looking at this thing and saying, we don't really care, I don't know what it is. If they would have checked with the owners, and they didn't. They didn't call me, I didn't get an email, they didn't check with any of the owners, of course not. Let us be part of that conversation, see what the financial gain is for the organizations too. But to just make a decision without checking in with your partners, that is completely out of line. We should have a say. Um, so Dextero scooped the conversations, the fact that they were happening. Mm -hmm. Allegedly, this has not gone to the owners. This has not gone to the teams at all. And Hex would know he is yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. owners of Optic. So it is fascinating that he, one of the most powerful people in the Call of Duty scene, is being this vocally oppositional to both the move to YouTube specifically and the league management more indirectly. Yeah, and honestly, I I think that there's a lot of weight behind it. Like, again, I I do not I'm not thrilled that I have to like put my esport on Daddy Bases's website for it to be successful. Right? I think that Twitch being as big as it is is not healthy for the space, and I think that competition would be healthy for the space. But with that said, I think the players and the GMs and all the partners have every right to say this was a terrible move for us the first time. Look at how much more successful the viewership was for this upcoming major. Look at how many more homes we were able to access. 97% of the viewership, whether it was co-streams or the main broadcast, came from an English stream on Twitch. Like, uh, how? what amount of money is it going to take for you to say no? And also, it's not only just the money. It's the fact that, like, you are killing the growth potential for all the partners. Uh, like, think of how much money they have writing on their own merchandise or, or sponsors like how much more money are they going to make from being on twitch and having so much more viewership and they can promote their stuff that way like if you think of it in in, in their shoes it's a win-win right if, if they are not on youtube if they are free to stream to all platforms they can and are free to reach as many people so i, I think they have every right to be vocally frustrated about this especially if they were not uh consulted what what guarantees from YouTube would you take? If you're either, you know, the, the manager of Optic, the owner of Optic, or if you're um, 
uh, uh, league head over at Blizzard. And YouTube says, work with us, accept our paycheck, and we're going to really get your viewership up there. Is there is there anything they could say that would make you believe they were invested enough in your product that you should sign with them? Uh, step one, I would ask for a list of co-streamers. So I, I would just make YouTube all the biggest YouTube exclusive streamers. They are co-streaming the COD League and you need guaranteed hours from them. That, that's going to be part of it. Second off, a filthy amount of money, and the partners should ask for a cut of that from the league. Yeah, uh, because it's, it's crazy the implication here that the partners are not getting a cut of the yeah, money that's being I earned mean, by. Not being talked to is bad. I don't know about the cut, uh, because they said... Well, let's, well Hex says, quote, let's see what the, the financial gain is for the organizations, that's too. True. That's true. So maybe that implies that they simply don't know what the financial gain yes. is, and there would be some financial gain. Yes. Or maybe it implies that there is no financial gain, or there wasn't last time. And if that is true, it's insane. Either if way, that they, is true... Yeah file it back under our continuation of the episode one category activision blizzard screws over their partners yeah true uh either way they just want a seat at the table and again that's completely understandable from uh, their shoes but I, I i would need some pretty insane guarantees uh from youtube yeah. and i mean we're even talking like potentially in the realm of like over like 500 mil you know like may i, I think that might be the magic number here just, just throw a ridiculous amount of money, because again, you were killing the growth of your game. Like you, were, and uh, he's hundred percent right by saying well, here's, we don't here's really care. My problem. That's what it is. They want to cash out. Here's my problem. YouTube is the most popular entertainment program in the world. It is, but not for streaming. And for American kids, they spend more time on that app and watch more streams on it than any other app except for TikTok, which especially with like very young generation, uh, young Gen Z uh, is, is slightly edging out YouTube now. But uh, uh, YouTube is like by far the most powerful video platform in the world. And I will say in some tournaments that I've worked on and operated, um, YouTube does better with younger audiences. You can build proportionally yeah. larger audiences if your target audience is younger. So, I don't know. There's a, there's a world in which I believe that YouTube could turn it around and could really fight Twitch and what they need is, you know, a killer, a killer bit of programming. And it, and it is meaningful to me that YouTube is willing to flush another $300,000, sorry, $300 million um, into the Call of Duty League. Because that says to me that YouTube seems to think there is a future in live streaming and they will own it and they're going to continue to make investments in exclusive live content and the infrastructure to support that. But you need to be on Daddy Basis's platform to be competitive, DJ. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, something to keep an eye on. Uh, we'll We'll kind of get back to it. Why don't we take a quick break? We can take our first break and then we can come back and we can play uh, esports charts for January. Oh, the minigame.
It's time, Matthew Covey Samuelson. It's time for... The Esports Charts Monthly Recap for January 2023. Ooh. Um, I wasn't allowed to look at this one. So, no, you, you're not, because we're, we're going to make a little game out of it. Um, every month, Esports Charts, that's at escharts.com, uh, tracks all of the tournament performance. They don't track Chinese viewership, because it's very difficult to get stats on Chinese viewership, but... Uh, they track all of the performance of tournaments, and then they bundle it together and give us some really good stats. Mm -hmm. And you know me, I love stats. Um, so let's let's work up from the bottom of the list, month of January. Um, we have a top five here. Um, where do you want to start? What do you what do you want to go through? Do you want to like try and guess these or? Um. Yeah, I I'm gonna start with number one. I'm just gonna guess it was the CS:GO major. No, we're going to start at the bottom. We're going to start at number five. Oh, well, that's no fun. Um, I think I think we have to work up to number one. So, are any... Is it all tournaments? Because would any... These are all tournaments. I will say one game on this list has two slots. Okay. Uh, so, would a league like LEC count? Yes, LEC is on the list. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with... At, if I'm going to assume then that league has two... So at five, yes. I'm going to put LCS. Uh, no, Ali LCS is not on the list. League does have two slots, though. You're right. Oh. Uh, then I'm going to guess that LEC is for sure on the list. Mm-hmm. And... Do you want, I'll give you, like, the Wordle answer. LEC is in number four. Okay. Nothing's beating out LEC, though, for viewership, right? Or am I wrong? LEC is at 400... Uh, fi 400, no, 500,000 like, average no, concurrent viewers. No league events that, beating out LEC. That puts it right there in number four on the list. So, right, but no league events beating out LEC. Uh, no, one league of, the other League of Legends event is higher on the list than LEC. Oh, then it's, we actually it's, talked about this. I it's mean, gotta, it's giving too much away. But It's got to be Ultra Prime League, no? No. No. We we talked about uh, what's happening in League of Legends. Well, you know the name of this event that's doing weirdly well in viewership this year. Is it Brazil? No, it's the LCK. We talked about this. Oh. Come on, Covey. Okay. Well, we I mean, we talked about how lit the LCK is in terms of a broadcast, but I'm glad yeah. they're beating out LEC so far. Um, no, their viewership, their peak viewership is 720,000. Uh, the LEC peak viewership is 486,000. Yeah, I'm going to guess that was for T1D+. Plus. That was a fun series. Um, um, it was T1DK, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the the LCK numbers have calmed down a little bit since the season started. But yeah. prior to the LEC season started, they were kind of briefly the only competitive League of Legends on, and they were very high in the chart. Yeah, because LPL took their uh, New Year, or Chinese New Year. So, yeah. Uh, Do you, yeah. you have 3-4. Those are the easy ones. That's the League of okay. Legends. 3-4. Uh, so, 5. What would 5 be? Would mm -hmm. it be... Would the new COD Major count, or is this, this No, is COD Major did not make the list. You mentioned the Blast Major. I will say the Blast Major is somewhere on this list. I'm going to guess the Blast Major, though, is higher than 3-4. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not, not going to answer. 5, I'm going to guess the Rainbow Six Major. Incorrect. Rainbow Six has has not started yet. They've done their qualifiers, and those didn't make the list. Ah, poo-poo. Um, okay, Blast Major's got to be at 1. Last major is at five. Okay. 
So this is really fun, because I know this. I was a little surprised to see just how wild the numbers are, but I okay. knew these top two games were going to be on the list. But they are entirely outside your sphere of awareness. Okay. This is, so number three, LCK. Number four, LEC. Number five, Blast Premier, coming in at 390 uh, peak concurrent viewers. That's slightly, it's about 100,000 lower than the LEC. Um, okay. This is because Blast is still in its qualifying stages. It's still kind of finding its feet. I get a guess. What? I'm going to guess PUBG Mobile. Yes, that is at number two. Yeah. The PUBG Mobile Global Championship happened. It ended at the very beginning of the month. Um, it's at 850,000 concurrent viewers, which is puts it higher than LCK. Yeah, so you said outside of my realm, so I, I knew it was mobile, and I know that mm -hmm. PUBG Mobile is, like, crazy in China. Like, insanely popular. Now, what if I told you that this number one slot has another order of magnitude okay. over PUBG? There okay. is another digit over everything else on this list. Okay. And, again, this doesn't count Chinese numbers. Uh, PUBG Mobile, most of their viewership actually comes from India, which is why okay. it gets tracked. I, I, I'm lost then for number one. Where are we at? If I said the M4 World Championship. Is that Magic? Is that, no, that is Mobile Legends. Mobile Legends Bang Bang from Moontoon, which is kind of... This is a legally troubling statement. It's kind of like League of Legends, but on the phone. In fact, it's so much like League of Legends, but on the phone, that Riot Games successfully took them to court and won. Which is why it's not called Mobile Legends anymore. It's called Mobile Legends Bang Bang. Uh, oh but they slightly God. redesigned the game to make it different. But it's huge in Southeast Asia. It was when, when I was working on Wild Rift, which is League of Legends entry into the mobile MOBA space. Um, they had a ton of trouble getting a foothold in Southeast Asia. Because especially in the Philippines, especially in Vietnam, um, which are huge markets for mobile esports, mobile legends just dominates. That's crazy. Um, so the most of their viewership was in uh, Indonesian and Tagalog. Tagalog, of course, the primary language of the Philippines outside of English. Um, yeah, so let, let's play this game. How many viewers do you... I, I gave you a little bit. They have another digit. How many viewers do you think they have? Uh, peak? Yeah. 1.4 mil. 4.2. What? <laughs> what? Why am I casting League of Legends? That's what I'm saying every Yo. day. <laughs> oh my god. 4.2 million peak viewers. Um, That was during kind of a, a grudge match that was Blacklist International versus RRQ, um, Blacklist International, a very popular Filipino team, so I think that probably has something to do with it. Oh my god. Um, yeah, no, and and this is kind of fun because I, I've i never worked for Mobile Legends, but I have worked for basically all of the competitors that Mobile Legends has steamrolled right. in the region. Right. Because I worked for Arena of Valor, OD, which yep. was Tencent's attempt to conquer that region, and they were a little late to the game, and Mobile Legends was already crushing them a little bit. And then I worked for Wild Rift, which was a couple years later, and Mobile Legends just owned the region, and, uh, yeah. 2.8 million on the Indonesian broadcast, 1.2 million on the Tagalog broadcast. Um, Tagalog, I think is the correct pronunciation. Um, and that was all, uh, importantly, non-English broadcasts, which is why you've never heard of it. 
And this is something like we talked wow. about a little bit with PUBG last week. Yep. There are entire esports that we just have no visibility into because they are not popular in English. Um, and there was one of the biggest world championships of the year in January. That's wild. That yeah. is crazy. Holy cow. Oh, cool. Um, so there you go. Uh, their their uh, peak viewership, that's actually not even their peak viewership. Um, they, they did do very well across the entire tournament. Um, the English language channel, uh, do you want to, we don't have to go down the whole list, but do you want to just like bang out a series of guesses for what the top English language esports viewership is? This is roughly the list as you think it should be, I'll say that. Uh, Blast, LEC, LCK, uh, LCS. What's your, what's your five? Huh? What's your five? I don't know. It's COD. Um, and COD okay. isn't number three. Uh, from the top down, it's LEC Blast, which is the Counter-Strike. Yep. Uh, then it's Call of Duty. Then it's LCK. Then it's LCS. Wow. Um, LCK so. is still beating on LCS for English viewers. For English viewership. Although, again, Go Europe. it started a little bit earlier, so there's a period where everyone's yeah. kind of what's saying, yeah. Also, five um, days a week versus two. Also, best of threes versus best of one. Super sad. Yeah. Please bring the best of threes to leave. I think it's worth noting that the LCS is the least viewed English language product um, of the top three esports leagues. I think it is interesting that the LCK is still on this list. Um, as much as like we might clown on the LCS for being at the bottom of this list, it is worth noting that League of Legends occupies three of the five top English language viewership slots. Um like it's it's obvious that League of Legends still owns English language viewership, especially from Europe. Yeah. Uh I think it is very telling of what the format is and also who is interested. Yeah. L LCS format it is I, I struggle with the LCS format. It's not good. Uh, so that's that's the month of January in esports leagues. Um, Call of Duty on that list for the first time in a while. Yeah. N not on that list, but doing all right in the charts. Uh, and this is because, of course, that list is January. Uh, but it they would be about halfway up that chart. Uh, is Apex Legends. They just did their playoffs for their first split of competitive. The ALGS is their pro league. Mm -hmm. um, and some interesting stats from that. Um, just a brief overview. About 200,000 average concurrent viewers. Um, and they had... Most of that is English language. But the second largest by far uh, is Japanese viewership. Yeah. So about 46% of the viewership is in English, which is about the normal stat. And then everything else is usually made up of like major European languages. Um, and then... Like something in, it depends on the game, but like some major Asian region that also happens to watch. Wild here that Japanese viewership makes up 34% of the remaining total hours watched. Um, so an incredible part of that broadcast viewership. I was really not expecting that uh, from Apex as that, I mean, that is a small country. Uh, and I, I think that with Apex, like, this isn't great for 
like the playoffs, you know, I, I'd be curious to see like what the league sits at, like as a whole in terms of viewership. Yeah. I'm, this is, this is a higher peak than the rest of the league. Yeah. Um, the rest of the league pulls much, much lower numbers. Um, I'm trying to get the exact numbers for you. I mean, they beat out the, the COD average viewership. Like that, there there is something for that, you know. Uh, but it was a, a million dollar prize pool, so a pretty pretty big prize pool. This is the second highest playoff viewership. So mm. they have had higher viewership uh, last year in one of their split playoffs. Mm -hmm. um, here, here it is. So their average viewership, it looks like the regular season league never breaches uh the tens of thousands um so it's not even close most oh. of it some of it is even as low as like five three thousand six thousand oh. um, and then for major games they're getting 20 to sixty thousand. interesting um so their regular season is getting nothing their playoffs are hitting big numbers two hundred thousand isn't bad um one thing, one stat buried in this uh, breakdown, again, over at Esports Charts, Dimitri Murko writing this one. Mm -hmm. Link will be in the show notes. Um, is that... Uh? I, I'm reading at the bottom, is that four out of the five most popular Apex Legends tournaments were held last year. That's in the fifth game of the... Fifth year of the games for these. That, that's, that's quite interesting. Um, yeah. It's, it's a little unclear kind of what that means. I think a lot of viewership for esports has gone down year over year just because people are no longer quarantined. Yeah. Um, here is the, here's the stat that was interesting to me that I pulled. No more than 12% of their viewership on Twitch or YouTube watches other pro leagues like Valorant, Counter-Strike, or League of Legends. Hmm. Which is fascinating because that means, what, 80-something percent of their viewership is entirely Apex Legends pilled. And that is not the case with most other top esports. The like number is usually about 72% of the audience only watches one game. Mm -hmm. So being like 10% exceeding the average um, is very interesting. That's, that's a significant dent. And it maybe explains why we, who are like general esports observers, kind of sleep on Apex Legends. Maybe we're part of we're part of the ten percent that gets kind of shredded off. Hmm. Um, it's a fun game to watch. It's it's a, one of the better battle royales to watch broadcast. Um, I think that that you know it's a very fun game to play. It's also got a lot of money behind it because it is EA's kind of biggest hope at running an esport right now. Um, EA very concerned with getting in on the space. So, a lot of interest, a lot of interesting things there. Um, shall we continue blasting through the Apex news? Yeah, that was not it. As uh, we also have TSM Imperial, Imperial Hall. Is, is that it? Yes, I believe so. Okay. Imperial Hall uh, claims that Adderall abuse is out of control in pro Apex Legends. And uh, quote, there are a lot of players that if they didn't use Adderall, they would be effing dog crap at the game. How'd I do? <laughs> okay, but now read it like an esports gamer. The full quote. All right. You've been around them. There are a lot of players that if they didn't use Adderall, they'd be fucking dog shit at this game. 
incredible. I knew you've been around esports players this week. Yeah. Uh, um, first off, you know that that is actually like the most uh, you know gamer thing to say. Like, oh, they'd be dog shit if they didn't have this. You know, like, he is he is coming off of winning the tournament, so I give him a little more credit because it's very easy yeah, to yeah. lose the tournament and then say everyone else is cheating. He won the tournament and then said everyone else is cheating. I mean, somewhat. Yeah, that's that's somewhat based or somewhat true. Yeah. Um, and it is there is of course a record of Adderall abuse at high levels in esports, um, most infamously the North American Counter-Strike scene. There was a kind of big scandal around it in the early 2010s, 2013 to 2018-ish, where a lot of people in North American Counter-Strike who now play actually Valorant, so I'd be curious to know, um, were accused of and found to be either using Adderall without a prescription or getting sketchy prescriptions for Adderall. Of course, Adderall is a legitimate drug that does save people's lives when they are using it to counter ADHD and stuff like that. I have seen that. I have friends for whom it is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, they do not function without it. But I also definitely know of people who use it for an advantage on tests, use it for an advantage in esports. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. This is a tricky one. Like... I think games have to... It, it's a big decision for a game to make, right? Uh, because, like, there are a lot of details around this, right? Because, again, it, it is a drug that if you need it in your life, there are people that, if they do not take it, cannot function without it, right? Yeah. Uh, and and I, I think there's also no denying that there is uh, a competitive advantage uh, if you if you do take it and you do not need it. What's messed up about it is that there is an Adderall shortage in the United States right now. That too, yeah. Um, And so I have friends that need Adderall to function that can't get it. And their lives are, like, worse because of that. And so the fact that, and I have seen this happen in competitive environments, I have seen this happen in academic environments, the fact that there are people who are taking Adderall, both kind of brown bag Adderall... (laughs) Uh, recreationally or or academically and then there are also people who are getting prescriptions and they don't need it it's very upsetting to me because i know people who desperately need it to function as a medical drug and they are taking it out of those people's hands and making the quality of their life worse so i am very frustrated with that state of affairs um it is for that reason, for that reason of it being an over-the-counter prescription drug that can be prescribed pretty easily if you, you know, find a doctor who's got few scruples, uh, which hypothetically an esports team might know a guy. Um, because of that, it's very hard to deal with. ESL and Counter-Strike did do pretty rigorous drug testing, and that mm-hmm. stops people who are buying street Adderall. Um, but if you have a prescription, you let the guy play. Yeah. And you have no way, short of doing some brain scans, to figure out what's going on there with the chemistry. Yeah, and that that for me is why it's tough too. Um, but I I'm not surprised that Imperial Hall like none of this surprises us. You know, I I, I think that's the the bottom line. Yeah. Um. Starting out performance enhancing drugs. I guess we really are becoming sports. <laughs> If it was baseball, we, we'd let every there'd be some fans that we'd have just say, let them all do Adderall. Let's see how 
see how well they can perform. <laughs> I mean, at that point, <laughs> there are some other substances that could further enhance the gameplay experience. Oh, man. All right. Well, you know. Uh, moving on. Uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, speaking of TSM, uh, we also yep. have some discussion about aim assist and having a place in FPS as Imper- Imperial Hall. Uh, he won the Apex Legends Major, uh, or I should say playoffs, uh, on a controller. Uh, very interesting, TJ. Um, wh- wh- what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I, I do play first-person shooters, um, mm-hmm. and typically with a first-person shooter, like take a game like Counter-Strike. The majority of what you need to do is make very quick adjustments to where your gun is pointing in the game. And so that means that a mouse gives you far more precision and you can move much faster. Yes. Because instead of saying, I want to move the cursor in this direction, you can drag the mouse one-to-one on the map where you want the cursor to be. Um, so typically, you know, normal wisdom is mouse and keyboard will always be a superior control scheme to controller for aiming in video games. And you can see this when you get, like, Call of Duty, uh, and when a new Call of Duty game comes out, all the, like, Counter-Strike streamers will play some Call of Duty, and they will go up against professional players from the Call of Duty League playing on controller, because that's how Call of Duty is played competitively, and they will be able to hold their own, if not beat them. Without, you know, playing a game that they're not as good at, but they have a mechanical advantage. So what's happening here is a couple of things. Um... One, Apex Legends isn't so much about close-range battles, right? When you're very close, it matters a ton, those quick adjustments. You need to go, oh, there's a guy, you know, right to my left, that's a big sweep of the mouse, and I can get right to his head and click. Yep. Um, But Apex Legends, a lot of the fighting happens at longer range. Yes. And at longer range and medium range, the type of aiming you're doing is known as tracking, and that is as somebody jumps across your screen, you're keeping your sights on them and putting damage into their shield. Um, and so what that rewards is sustained tracing ability. Yep. And I think there might be an advantage to mouse over controller, but there's far less. And there is a advantage given to controller players to try and compensate. And this is pretty common among video games. There's a little bit of assistance given by the game, which basically nudges your cursor back towards the character, makes it a little sticky as your cursor is leaving the character. And that's useful for controller players. It makes playing the game on controller a little more fun. There's long been a conversation in Apex Legends specifically that asks, is the controller aim assist a little too tuned up too high? Is it giving the controller players an advantage uh, in those tracking environments? I mean, I, obviously for me, like the, the dream world is where both are even. Uh, I, I think it's fun to compete on both. Um, but... I could see how aim assist could really help with what you explained. Like, I, I'm not even an Apex Legends player, and when, like, kind of when I was giving my notes, I was like, "Well, like from what I've seen, you know, if you can track someone from 400 meters away, or you know, like it's just a pixel on your screen with your controller, that is a huge advantage, right? Because um, you can just hit down aim and at least get your first couple of bullets to land, you know, uh, and be able to track people. That 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 is a big deal." Uh, it's funny though because I know that like aim assist in COD, like a lot of pros actually do not use it. Like they feel like yeah. it hurts them. Uh, so I, I find it funny that like the aim assist here is seen as an advantage, not to mention uh, movement as well, which you mentioned. Yeah, I was. I also have my notes that um, I think Apex Legends 
in move the movement in Apex Legends specifically. May you be benefited. This is my hypothetical as an FPS player. Okay. May be benefited by the controller. Okay. Um, Interesting. I uh, I don't know about the aim assist your your reference to Call of Duty is interesting. Um, I was also thinking of Rainbow Six, which has kind of cut it out of their pro circuit, but for yeah, a long time great. they had some controller players in there. I love um, R6, man. And there's no aim assist for Rainbow Six. They I'm, really try and make a competitive game. That's what I'll give it, R6. Um, but Rainbow Six, there's no aim assist in that. It doesn't really matter because Rainbow Six is really slow. Mm -hmm. So when you when you fight someone in Rainbow Six, it's very normal that you know exactly where they're coming from, right? It's very rare in Rainbow Six that uh, you're you're dealing with like a hallway and someone could come from three different directions. Most of the time, it's you've been sitting under a bed waiting for a while, and you know that there's a guy who's going to come through this one specific doorway, and the game come the the success or failure in the game comes down to you knowing correctly where they're going to come from and making that tactic decision right so it's very different from something like counter-strike or call of duty or apex um so i don't know you know what i will chalk this up to and you can you can tell me if i'm right or wrong what i will chalk this up to gamers are always going to be complaining <laughs> true um i don't know I think you can get really good at anything. I think I believe that there's a there's an advantage in tracking for controller gamers. Um, but if that's true, use a controller. <laughs> All right, TJ, we got a couple other things to knock out of the list. I know that this one, I'm going to start with the one where in your notes you said, I guess this is real because I find that funny, uh, which is ESL. Not F1, but R1. Uh, as there is a Ren Sport Esports League, of course, this is going to be... Uh, we, we talked about this last week. Sim when racing. We were like, is there an NFT racing game? Does ESL own this? Hell yeah, they do. And it's real. <laughs> yeah, I still don't know which way the money is going here. Um, so we briefly talked about this. This is this is a sim racer being made. It's called Ren Sport. Um, and it's being made by a German company that didn't exist before it made Rensport. And it sure does seem like they have some very deep connections with ESL. Yep. And I do not think they are paying ESL. I think the money may be flowing the other way. I think they might be in some kind of partnership, co-ownership situation with ESL. Um, I have no facts to back that up, but they're very quiet about which way the money's going if that's not the case. Um, I, normally, so it's there pretty are, obvious there who's are a operating couple. what. There are a few things that I like that they're doing here. Uh, first off, they listed out their partners, but much like F1, uh, the partners, like, they have it listed with, like, the type of car they're going to be driving, right? Because, uh, like, a lot of the rules of F1 is that you have to make a, a car from scratch uh, to, that, like, fits under the rules and guidelines to compete. So I don't know how that's going to work in a racing game. But they at least have car brands tied to teams, which does help with the fandom. Because uh, also what happened, I find very interesting. So one of the relationships that works in F1 is they, let's say like Team Mercedes, right? Uh, they have, there are multiple teams that drive Mercedes in F1. So there's team, there's the Mercedes team, like, you know, the, the lead team where they're the ones that have been incredibly successful. Uh, and have Lewis Hamilton driving for them, who is the best driver of all time. But they also have a secondary team, uh, which is known as like the Williams team, 
They drive a Mercedes, and that's been used as a pipeline to find drivers to put on the main team. And they actually did get their uh, second driver this year from that, like, you know, pipeline team. The, the car is not as fast, but, you know, you can test out drivers there. But Mercedes has two teams in this league, and it's both Mercedes and Williams, which I find fascinating. So they really are trying to go for a lot of the F1 model and how they're okay. setting up uh, this league. But I'm hitting the same problem I was hitting with FIFA, which is the cars aren't real. Yeah, I, I know. I'm with you. I, I again, if I'm 100 with you. If I want to watch a Mercedes car go around the track really fast, I could do that. Yep. Who is this for? ESL, answer me. Who it's is for this the, for? It's for the NFT game. I don't know. Uh, well, they, well, they're that, really downplaying the NFT bit, right? It, it was yeah. the reason why I like harped on it was because it was like hidden somewhere in their website that they were like, "Oh, and you really own the car." There's real digital ownership, which I suppose could not mean NFT, but that language always means NFT. Um, so my suspicion here's I'm going to lay out my conspiracy theory for this entire project. ESL has some partnership with the development studio that's making a sim racer. And they're like talking and they're like digital racing is the future. And this has been kind of a vibe that's been floating around ever since uh, Formula One during quarantine did some of their races in digital. NASCAR did some of their races in a digital game as well. So there's like a certain energy around that idea. So they have that thought and they start development. About midway through development, they're looking for venture capital funding. And... Uh, they say, because it's like a year ago, right? They say, we've got digital ownership, so people really own their cars thanks to the blockchain. And blockchain is one of those magic words where if you said it at the right time in the right place, someone just handed you $5 million. And so they say blockchain to the right German man, and they get a stupid amount of money. And that means that they can now go here, and here's my theory, and I don't know if this is true, like, FaZe Clan is operating a team here. FaZe Clan are not stupid. They do not think that there will be a massive audience for this game. So that makes me think that if FaZe Clan are operating this, they must be getting paid. And if FaZe Clan are getting paid, then Mercedes are getting paid. And that explains to me how they have so many of the, like, Formula One brand names attached. As they went in with ESL, they said, we're going to run a respectable esports league, digital games are the future, Video games are played by millions of people uh, and will pay you X amount of money to to operate a team. And because you don't have to design a real car, that's really cheap. You just need to, like, pay two players and a coach. Yeah. See, like, that's the other, like, wild thing for me. Like, how are these cars going to be developed? Because that is a major part of F1. <laughs> also, like, teams... yeah, There's no car development. Nobody's right. building the Mercedes car. Like, a big part of the league was, like, teams would pay other teams to, like, get blueprints. Like, that's a real part of F1. Mm -hmm. And how the hell is stuff like that going to work for this, you know? Like F1 that, is, like, part group science fair, part competition is. sport. It's sweet. And, the, like, I assume maybe there's maybe they'll, like, tune the cars, but they're, like, I digital cars. So yeah. I assume that what, the way a car is made is that somebody on the development team enters a number for top speed, you know? And, yeah. I, and I assume that nobody would be happy if the Mercedes car was faster than the Porsche car. Like, why would Porsche sign on to this video game if the Porsche car was slower than the Mercedes car? Should have built so, it better, you know? 
So what I assume is happening is that all the cars are the same speed and the same stats functionally, at which point, what is the point? I don't know. We'll see. Um, it makes me mad. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but it makes me mad because I feel like this is insane. I feel like this has no audience. I don't know who watches this, and there is an astonishing amount of money being spent here. I, I, I kind of agree. I, I think it's really weird, uh, but... I'm definitely one of those F1 fans that wasn't an F1 fan until I started watching Drive to Survive. New season so, dropping this week? I cannot wait. It's it Honestly, if you just like sports, it is so entertaining to watch because there is so much beef behind the scenes between, like, owners. Like, they have, like, the actual, like, people that run the teams just beefing, like, on camera 24-7. It's amazing. So, watch Drive to Survive. Um, if yeah. you want to know anything about ESL R1, if you would like to watch ESL R1, you, you can, can go watch ESLR1.com. Docu series that is in progress to cover. I'm sure. The I'm Red Sport sure. R1. It's called like Strive to Survive. <laughs> oh my God. Strive to Derive. <laughs> well, you need to get the R. We, we, we didn't get the R in there. We just get the Rensport in there. Ride here is can I just can I just read you some of the copy from the page? Yeah, let's let's do this. Let me find let me find the voice. ESL and Rensport have teamed up and proudly present ESL R1 Racing released. ESL R1 is the home for heroes. We are racers at heart and gamers in mind. Passionate, competitive, and proud of our virtual racing heritage. ESL R1 is fusing racing culture into the digital age to give you a virtual racing experience unlike anything you've ever seen before. With the community as a top priority, ESL R1 allows you to impact it all. Let's race. Let's race, baby. What what does that mean? What's race? Let's do it. You can sign up for the beta um, of the video game Rensport at ESLR1.com, which further, like, I really do think ESL has some ownership stake here. Like, if it wasn't a really weird idea, because that's, like, part of it, is this is such a, like, weird, bad idea that I have to assume they're, they have some chance of owning it, mm-hmm. which is the only reason why it would be a good idea, because every esports company right now is desperate to operate tournaments that they own, because that's the only way you make money. Right. So they're desperate to own brands and own video games that they operate in. So that makes me think that the only reason ESL would do this and be pushing this is because they have some chunk of the money made from the video game. The 2023 calendar consists of two seasons, each culminating in a live final with a total prize pool of 500,000 euro. The spring season will kick off with a bang at the free-to-enter IEM Expo as part of Intel Extreme Matters Katowice. Which is this weekend. So, we can get our first look at Rensport ESL R1. Can't wait. Let's go. See, 48 see. drivers! Four drivers per team! Can't wait to see which car is the fastest. Mercedes actually paid the most, so <laughs> we're having too much fun with this. Uh, speaking, yeah, what if it, what if it's the next big esport? This podcast ages terribly. <laughs> I, 
I, you know what? I feel good about where we're at, TJ. Uh, you know who doesn't feel good about where they're at? Oh, good, good. Keep me moving. Yeah, sorry, what? Uh, TSM Siege team, because they're withdrawing from Siege. And they're entering CSGO. Yeah, this happened simultaneously. Um, they had a world champion Rainbow Six Siege team last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now they don't. Which feel, wow. really does sum up TSM. Um, and to be fair, it's not just as... There's obviously some like rumors of money troubles for TSM. It's not oh, yeah. quite as simple as them having money trouble. They had like some, I think, real player management failures and their team kind of fell apart. Um, and now they are, as a result of that, just dropping the entire project, leaving Rainbow Six Siege. Hey, TJ. You remember back, way back when in CSGO, when TSM had Kerrigan on their roster and their team was one of the best, if not the best, in NA? You know what I remember from TSM? Uh, well, hold on. You just okay, have sorry. to say yes to this, TJ. Sure, yes. Yeah, remember when they dropped him right after they won a major? Uh, or, yes. Or, or they didn't win, but they like performed like very well. They didn't, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so they did this to their Siege lineup, and now they're doing it, they're entering CSGO. The other thing I remember about... Um, their time in Counter-Strike is them dropping one of the most popular and prominent players in the scene like four days after they signed him because he worked with a player's rights organization that was trying to get better conditions for all the players. And this happened via Twitter DMs as Reginald, who is the like historic CEO and I think has ownership shares and always has of TSM, found out that he had done some organizing with the Players Association to try and get esports players a better deal, and then just came into Sean Garris, who's one of the most popular streamers and first-person yep. shooters, came into Sean Garris' Twitter DMs and was like, what are you doing? Why are you organizing? You could have just called me. You're fired. Oh, I remember that. Wow, that was, yeah, that was tough. Um... By the way, if anyone wants the TSM lineup from 2015 that they dropped, you ready for this, TJ? Sure. Zipex. Mm-hmm. Good player. Cajun Still B. winning world championships. Kerrigan. Dupree, Still winning world championships. Device. Still winning world championships. Wow, it's crazy. It's they the super team that went on team. to dominate. Oh. So, TSM. TSM are a clown show, and I, I'm on the record saying that this is, I think, the... This organization is the poster child for an organization that was founded before esports was real, right? And they had the right players at the right time, that they had a social media brand, and so they got investment money, and they have never had to grow up. And this has led to the state of California mandating that their players be checked in on every week by a therapist because of workplace abuse. Um, this has led to numerous scandals to that effect tsm uh reggie andy din i believe is his uh legal name um yeah. he is known for being hilariously abusive in the workplace um hilariously awful to his employees obviously the abuse isn't hilarious but the immaturity of it is yeah um it's not good they are known for making spectacularly bad decisions they are known for their teams exploding um, and I think most of all, they are known in the Counter-Strike scene as clowns. And this is something that happened to EG. Actually, we didn't really talk about it on this podcast. Um, but we talked about that EG upset, if you remember, 
where they like did the work, found a promising roster of North American talent, and pulled out an upset. Um, and everyone was very briefly on the same side as EG, which is important for Evil Geniuses because, like, League of Legends organizations have a tough time getting traction in the Counter-Strike scene. There's this kind of perception of them that they're, like, coddled esports orgs that don't really know how to run a team, don't really know how to put together a competitive lineup, and are all mm -hmm. run by, like, idiots. Um, and so briefly, there was a moment where Evil Geniuses had really won the, the public's view um, and then their head of their Counter-Strike team got on Twitter and started trying to flame the broadcast for uh, not celebrating their victory enough and instead only talking about how the team that they had beaten was underperforming. Which isn't something you should write in the best of times, but also was entirely reasonable considering that the team that had won the major was underperforming. Um, yeah. And uh, they got kind of laughed out of the house for that. Um, so that's the perception, is that these League of Legends teams operate in a way that might work in League of Legends, but doesn't work in an eSport where the fans are not devoted to them, where they don't get franchisee money. Um, and that's what TSM has to overcome, despite their record of not looking good. If anyone in my life said, hey, should I invest in TSM? I would tell them, no. Hmm. I would agree. Um, yeah. I, I, that's about it. I, I hold a real disdain for TSM because I, I think their lack of professionalism has hurt the, the space. Because um, they are big enough to do things right and they don't. It's not just they don't do things right. It's they do things actively wrong. True. And not good for the space. <laughs> and that's a bummer. Um, yeah. Like I said, they fired a player for not even like organizing against them. Literally um, like every like everyone loves Sean Garris. Yeah. Literally, um, the many people very much like and respect that guy. And TSM's like, oh, you're trying to better life for pro players everywhere? Fuck off. He's, he signed an open letter to esports teams that was like, we expect better treatment. Um, How dare you? Lose your job, please. You can you can find these. I'm, I had them because they were linked in the story. Um, but there's an Imgur album you can find. I'll put it in the show notes. Of TSM CEO, one of the most powerful and wealthiest men in esports getting in the Twitter private messages of one of his players and just like a like a high school boyfriend like are you are you talking to the organizers without me you could have just called me you could have just talked to me you don't need to sign open letters I feel like you're hurting the brand and over the course of like 20 hours sending a series of messages culminating in you're fired when Sean Garris who's one of the most professional and put together esports players in the scene holds his ground and his entirely legal rights. Yeah. Um, Good times. So that's the type of people they are. Uh, that was I a trip guess, down memory lane. I wish their uh, Counter-Strike team success, they have declared they're opening a division and are looking for someone to manage it, which is... Maybe it was just me. I feel like that's a pretty silly way to announce you're opening a division, to be you like... Know, you don't, you we don't do have anyone shit. to do this, but we want to do this. You know, you, you know what you should do? You should send them this segment and apply. And this sure. is the resume. 
if you if you hire me tsm <laughs> reggie i know i know you like to go by reggie um if you hire me to run your counter-strike team i will not throw anything at the players i will not fire players if we if we build a championship winning counter-strike team I won't drop them before they become the winningest team in Counter-Strike history, which is what they did to that roster. Yep. If we win a Rainbow Six Major, I will make sure that the team doesn't fall apart over the next two months. I mean, there, there could be financials on that one, but still, it's uh, no, continues the, to be the, I mean, maybe there's a financial decision in them not staying, but they didn't yeah. qualify for the Major. And the reason they didn't qualify for the major is because their players fell apart in a much more like team cohesion way. Okay. They had like player drama. And you might be like, well, that's out of TSM's hands. And I would say it sure I... keeps happening to them. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> anyway. And if you, are, if you are an ownership, if you are a coach, as you well know, former coach Matthew Covey Samuelson, it is part of your job to make sure that the players are in a good place mentally and are working together and are happy. Always. Um, and if it keeps happening to you that your players are not in a good place mentally and are not happy working together, then I would say that you or your organization are the problem. So it's esports. Um, Ren's, we ended on a, we, we bundled the things that might be scams together. We bundled the things that make me rant together. We went Rensport, then TSM. It's been a fun episode just because of that, TJ. Uh... <laughs> Do, oh, do you have one other thing? Business news. Yes. Sorry. Oh, you want me to go? Okay. Well, sure. you know, we'll, uh, since we've been introing some of the topics in the back half, uh, Microsoft can only buy Activision Blizzard King if it drops Call of Duty, uh, as stated by a UK regulator. Yeah. So the Competition and Market Authority, or CMA, I believe. Mm hmm. I'm such a nerd. I'm such a like finance nerd, and I, it's a dumb thing to be. Um, but they are one of three regulatory bodies. The EU's regu regulatory body and the United States's uh, FTC have all been looking into this acquisition, which is Microsoft is trying to buy Activision Blizzard, who previously bought uh, King Mobile Games, makers of Candy Crush, um, and Sony has been out there. Sony has been lobbying everywhere it can, saying if Microsoft buys Activision Blizzard, they will make Call of Duty a Xbox exclusive and they will have a monopoly on the video game market. Um, which I is maybe true. Um, I don't think Call of Duty is as popular as Sony wants the regulatory bodies to think it is. Um, I don't think Activision Blizzard would be the tipping point that Sony would like the regulatory bodies to think it is. Um, Sony and Microsoft, by all metrics, effectively hold a duopoly over uh, console gaming already. Um, Microsoft has done their press tour where they've said, no, 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 we'll sign whatever piece of paperwork we need. Yeah. Um, we will never make uh, Call of Duty an exclusive title. Um, but now the kind of ruling has come down from the UK market authority, which is that if you would like to complete the merger in the United Kingdom, uh, you need to drop Call of Duty from the deal. Well, so uh, Call of Duty, I guess, would be spun out from Activision Blizzard? It's unclear. That is a big deal. Uh, as I like, Microsoft is doing this because what Microsoft wants to do is they want to make it so that you can pay X amount of dollars to subscribe to Microsoft and have access to all their games every month. 
Uh, yeah, that's Xbox Game Pass, an ongoing on, yes. and great deal. Yes, uh, but they want to nickel and dime you forever, as is the fun of subscriptions. So the fact they want to be able to add Call of Duty to that, I mean, I think Microsoft's still going to do the deal, but that is actually very significant. Um, and I appreciate that they are not letting Microsoft rule our gaming lives, uh, as this merger would be massive for Microsoft. It would also put Call of Duty and Halo under the same umbrella, which I find funny. Uh, well, it would have. Now, now, now it can't. But you know. Yeah, I mean, I, believe it or not, I'm not. I don't know anything about regulatory law. Yeah. Um. So what I'm a little unclear on is what happens if the United States and European Union market authorities came back and say the deal is good to go. Is it worth it to Microsoft to do this deal but not publish Call of Duty in the United Kingdom or something? Is there is there some middle ground that restricts the, the London's power as a as a market regulator? Um, and also, does it go the inverse way of like, well, this you know the merger could go ahead with these terms in the UK, but the FTC or the European Union's regulatory body is going to come back and say no, you can't go ahead, and that'll put a stop to it anyway. Um, unclear. And, and I think it is also worth noting, uh, many, many people have observed that actually Candy Crush is by far the most profitable and biggest game in that portfolio, in the Activision Blizzard portfolio. Um, oh, yeah. The moms just love Candy Crush, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, you can bundle it with Windows or the, the Windows phone or something. I don't know. Um... Kind of fascinating state of affairs. Microsoft much more interested in PC gaming than Sony, than any of their competitors. Um, also, I think worth noting that I don't know that Activision Blizzard has a lineup of franchises outside of Call of Duty that are that interesting to Microsoft. Like, what do they publish? Like, Overwatch? Overwatch not, Overwatch 2 not really hitting the big player number counts really who would have possibly thought that'd be the case world of warcraft i guess um those are that's kind of what you get if you buy activision blizzard world of warcraft overwatch call of duty i mean any and all xbox exclusives tony no? hawk Ocu yeah oculus no well i mean activision blizzard just doesn't make that many games is the real thing they make call of duty maybe they'll bring back heroes of the storm Please, I'd love that yeah, game. Yeah, Microsoft so will say we need a MOBA. It was so fun. We got to get you on that predecessor, um, the Paragon rebuild. We got to get you on that. What? There's a, do you know Paragon? Yeah. Uh, Epic Games 3D MOBA. But didn't they have Paladins? No. Okay, similar, this is different. Sim similar energy. Paladins was high res and it was more full first person shooter. Okay. Paragon was a MOBA with lanes and minions and all of that. Jungle okay. camps. Everything okay. you, you expect from a MOBA. Um, and they got shuttered, not because the game wasn't doing alright, but because Epic Games made Fortnite and suddenly didn't have a whole lot of time for anything else. Um, and because they were shutting an on online multiplayer game that had an audience, Epic Games did something that was actually very cool, uh, where they said anyone can use the resources, the assets from Paragon. If you would like to try and like rebuild the game, you can do that, I guess. Hmm. Um, and so they, they open-sourced a lot of the stuff that was used to build the game. And so a couple different companies have tried. Predecessor is the most successful of them. And it's just a, it's just a fun MOBA. It's just a fun game you can play now. 
It's actually the esports champion of the game led the company, built the company that now publishes it. Hmm. He was the he was tired of not having a game to beat people on. <laughs> um, it's a fun game. I would like it. What, what, what's the last thing we have to wrap? Uh, well, we have to we have to say goodbye. Oh, okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? Thank you so much for listening. Bye. You can find new episodes each week at sickesports.com, as well as the podcast provider of your choice. You can find Cubby at CubbyXX on Twitter, and me, myself, TJ, at esportstj.com. Be safe, be kind to yourself, and get paid what you're worth.